the heart of addiction is this disconnection, um, this tuning out, this this numbing um, effect, because uh, life on life's terms is just too difficult to to wrap your mind around and and to um, really participate in. And so recovery has been the exact opposite of that. It's been a process, a slow process of learning how to check in, return back to myself, rediscover parts of myself that I may have lost or given up or traded off um, in my uh, addiction journey. And this returning of self is really important because no matter how far or how much we run, we really can't hide from who we are. And there's within each and every one of us, there are things that, that we love or we like, and there's some things that we don't like or don't care for. But I think the healing journey is about how do we, how do we make peace with all of that? How do we accept ourselves uh, as we are? How do we accept life as it is, accepting life on life's terms. When I was in active addiction, it was very difficult for me to accept life on life's terms, just as it is. And sometimes even in recovery, I'm challenged by that. But I know that life is what it is. And running from it, uh, hiding from it, uh, numbing myself from the realities of it, it's not going to help me get to where I want to go or uh, it's not going to enhance my life or my overall well-being. Welcome to the Mindful Rebel podcast, the podcast where mindfulness and leadership intersect. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Stephen Washington. Stephen is the author of Recovering You, Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction and the creator of SWE Studio an affordable online community offering movement, meditation, and more. As a former professional dancer, Steven's love for movement inspired him to create a Qigong and Pilates fusion class that has helped thousands of people of all ages and fitness levels to move and strengthen their bodies in safe and impactful ways. Steven lives a joyful life of recovery and is passionate about helping others as they navigate toward health and happiness. Super excited to be here with our guest today. Uh, today we have Stephen Washington. Stephen, thank you for joining in um, on this conversation. Again, you know, we've got a chance to talk before the podcast got started, but I've been following your work for some time and uh, I'm just glad that, glad that the stars aligned and we were able to uh, make some time to, to chat. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so happy that we were able to do it as quickly as we were able to do it. I know it's like we started talking about it like a week ago and I'm like, here yes. we are. It's great. <laughs> well, listen, you know, I always like to ground the conversation in foundation and how folks, you know, can connect with you and, and, you, and where you are on your journey. So can you talk about your journey that has brought you to where you are now as an author and what I would say is a very important voice in the self-care movement and wellness space? What brought you here to this point? Interesting question. Thank you. Well, like like many, I had a very traumatic upbringing. And so my whole life has been about how do I bring myself comfort and care? And how do I uh, help myself feel better in my own skin and in the world? So we 
Um, and that's what led me to what I do for a living. And we always teach the thing that we need to learn the most. And, um, you know, one of the things that has always been easy for me and really connective for me is movement. I feel like I came out of my mother's room moving, dancing, whether I was spinning around the house like Wonder Woman or whether I was dancing to music on the stereo. And that helped me to um, feel better, feel better in my uh, body and in my circumstances. And that led me to a career uh, as a dancer and as a performing artist and dance, like I said, always transported me and transformed me and helped me to transmute whatever was going on inside of me. So I'm really grateful for the arts because I think that the arts saved my life, really. Um, and eventually I had a long dance career in New York City, which was really fun and exciting. I was in the Lion King for a long time and there's nothing like there's nothing like moving around on the set of stilts or being being wired up by the uh, all the way up to the rafters and flying through the air. There's nothing like that while singing and dancing to beautiful music. So I did that for a long time. And that led me to uh, wanting to know what else I could do besides dance, because that's all I'd ever done, dancing and singing and acting. And I finally was led to Pilates and I and I began to study Pilates because it helped me extend my dance career because eight shows a week will 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 wear your body mind and spirit out so uh that led me to pilates that helped me do what i did and helped me do it better and i i i eventually became a teacher uh, and it just makes sense that a, a dancer would move on to something like that because it's still the language of the body and and i felt i've always felt fluent in that and that led me eventually to study traditional Chinese medicine because I was interested in what else I could what else I could learn to help myself and then also to help other people. So I went to Chinese medicine school for a period of time only to find out that that's not what I was supposed to do. It's always interesting when you're so certain that you're supposed to do something and then you're you're doing it and then you're like, oh, I don't know about that on second thought. Uh, so that led me to massage therapy school. I became a massage therapist. But one of the things that I got from being in Chinese med school was Qigong. I got to learn the practice and the power of that medicine. And I knew that that practice would nourish me for the rest of my life. It's enhanced my recovery as a, as a recovering alcoholic and addict. And also it's just helped me with my overall well-being. Uh, that all led me to someday begin to co-facilitate workshops with my husband, Lee Harris, who is a um, author, speaker, energy, intuitive musician. Uh, we did workshops all around the world and, um, and retreats, and I would offer Qigong to the participants at those retreats. And that just led me to just really diving into the practice for myself so that I can teach it to others. And during the pandemic, uh, after I'd already begun writing for some time, I began writing short stories and posting them online because it was just a, another way for me to be creative. And I became really inspired by uh, the time that I would spend in the UK with his family, which was drastically different from my own family. And I just fell in love with writing. And eventually someone from New World Library found me and found the work that I was putting out there and asked me if I would be interested in writing a book. And what came to mind when I started to think about what I could offer the world is a book around 
addiction recovery and how mindful movement and other healing practices can help anyone on their recovery journey. And I feel as though we're all recovering from something. We're not all recovering from alcohol abuse or, or drug abuse or anything like that. Sometimes for some of us, it's food, it's social media, it's our devices, it's relationships. There's just so many ways that we check out and, um, and disconnect from our true selves. And I wanted to provide practices for people to help them connect to their true self and live a more conscious and joyous life. Oh. Well, let's let's dive into this. You mentioned that you've been on your recovery journey, um, and that journey has been over twenty years. You know, what have been some of the most important lessons that have evolved out of that journey, and maybe how is that also connected to your exploration of mindfulness? Mm, very good question. I think one of the things that I've learned through that journey is that I'm not alone. Mm. There was a part of me that. I think ever since I was a child felt as though I was apart from instead of a part of. And one of the things that recovery and my, my, my healing journey has taught me that we are all in this boat together, right? There's not much that separates us. And that has been one of the most powerful lessons that I've learned. And also that I'm worthy. I'm just as worthy of healing and, and recovery and transformation and change as any other person is out there. And that's been my mission to share that with others so that they know the, the truth of that as well. Um, I'm sorry, what was the last bit of your question? Well, Jimmy? yeah, you know, how, you know, how has your mindfulness practice been, you know, helpful along that journey? Very much so because my mind likes to either focus too much on the past or, and, and look at the past with regret or shame or the focus on the future and not always focusing on the future with a level of um, optimism and excitement. So mindfulness has helped me to bring it all back to the present moment, paying attention to how I'm feeling, what I'm feeling in my body, um, how I'm breathing and paying attention to just the world around me in the moment so I can um, be as present as I can because this is where I hold my power. I don't hold power in the past or the future. I hold my power right here, right now. And so mindfulness has, has been instrumental in um, helping me just have a, a greater level of peace and serenity in my life and clarity. Yeah, you're, you're touching on something. It's it's something I've been exploring a lot more in my work, this idea of like connecting to our personal power and even this idea of like returning back to ourselves, like using our practice to, you know, return back to ourselves. Can you talk a little bit about how returning back to yourself may have been beneficial to you as you've explored your uh, your recovery process? I think the heart of addiction is this disconnection, um, this tuning out, this this numbing um, effect, because uh, life on life's terms is just too difficult to to wrap your mind around and and to um, really participate in, and so recovery has been the exact opposite of that. It's been a process, a slow process of learning how to um check in return back to myself rediscover 
parts of myself that I may have lost or given up or traded off um, in my uh, addiction journey. And it's helped me to also discover parts of myself that I wasn't even aware of. Uh, so it's always been, it's been an, a constant um, exploration of myself. And yeah, sometimes when you dig a little deeper, you find things about yourself that you didn't know. And that um, might even surprise you. So I think this returning of self is really important because no matter how far or how much we run, we really can't hide from who we are. And there's within each and every one of us, there are things that, that we love or we like, and there's some things that we don't like or don't care for. But I think the healing journey is about how do we, how do we make peace with all of that? How do we accept ourselves uh, as we are? How do we accept life as it is, accepting life on life's terms? When I was in active addiction, it was very difficult for me to accept life on life's terms, just as it is. And sometimes even in recovery, I'm challenged by that. But I know that life is what it is. And running from it, uh, hiding from it, uh, numbing myself from the realities of it is not going to help me get to where I want to go or uh, is not going to enhance my life or my overall well-being. So just learning how to be in acceptance because the acceptance is really a big part of all that causes discomfort in me. Mm. I'm just, I'm, I'm digesting what you're, what you're sharing. It's definitely resonating. And I think it connects very well to the next question I wanted to ask you. Um, and I'm, I'm jumping around a bit, but well, let That's me, let's okay. back. Let's circle <laughs> back. Cause I want to, okay. I, I want to uh, pull a thread about your book, but let's talk about your book, um, Recovering You, right? And we understand like the, the subtitle is Soul Care and Mindful Movement for Overcoming Addiction. What's soul care and maybe how does that differ or does it from the idea of self-care? I think soul care is anything that we do that benefits the health and the well-being of our soul. And I firmly believe much like what's, what's taught in many, many Western practice, many Eastern practices is that there is a connection between the body, the mind, and the spirit, that they're all connected. So anything that we do for one aspect of us, of our being affects all the others. And so I think of soul care being, and what I offer in my book, uh, all of it being soul care because it, it, it impacts us as a complete being, whether it's the mindful movement or the community building, uh, some of the other recovery tools, creative writing, deep breathing, self-massage, all of it uh, contributes to the health and the well-being of the soul. And I feel as though soul care is self-care and, and self-care is such an interesting thing because self-care only works if we do it consistently mm. and self-care, uh, my self-care practices might not be exactly what you do for you, for your self-care. We all have to give ourselves permission to do what resonates with each and every one of us. And self-care is not selfish. People often think that if you do anything for yourself, that yeah. you're being selfish and that you're not focusing on others. 
And the thing is, if you if you if you don't fill up your well, if you don't fill up your cup, you have nothing else to share. You have nothing to share. So self care is is vital, and self care is soul care in my in my mind and in my heart. Thank you for sharing that, and I always appreciate reiterating things that I've been sort of sitting with in my own personal practice. And it's this idea that you know. I think we self-care sometimes gets a bad rap that it's you're being selfish and there's a big difference between being selfish and taking care, truly taking care of yourself. And this idea that, you know, I love how you phrased it and something I say quite often is, you know, we we all want to be of service to folks around us, but you know, in reality, we can't serve anybody if we're, you know, running on E or, you know, running on fumes or our cup is empty. And so I think especially for folks who are sort of in the space in which they're holding containers for other people, making time to pour back into ourselves, take care of ourselves is is so important. Um, yeah, so I appreciate you yeah. putting pouring that into the space. And don't you find that when you take care of yourself, when you are of service to another person, you're able to show up for that moment more joyfully, mm. instead of feeling drained and resentful. Uh, it, you just you just show up more as yourself. And um, and lighter. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's that's language I hadn't had around it, but it, it def there definitely is a lightness to that presence that you have when connecting with other people in that way. Oh. Mm. Thank you for for pouring that into the space. Mm. There's a there's a con there's something I want to circle back and talk about in chapter four of your book. It's the, I know the title for chapter four is "Moving Past Shame," and you know, I, I think shame is a, a very interesting concept. And I hadn't thought about it in the context of addiction, right? Can you talk a little bit about the role that shame may play um, in the role of addiction? Because for me, I, I now, you know, in a full moment of transparency, you know, I've, I have family members who have struggled with, with addiction all throughout my life. And, you know, when I immediately sort of saw that section, you know, I think there was a selfish part of me that, that thought about it from the perspective of like, I, my family, we saw the shame in terms of how we spoke about it in the context of that family member who was experiencing that. But can you talk a little bit more about maybe how the person who is working through their addiction journey is experiencing shame and what that actually looks like? Mm, absolutely. From my own experience, I felt a lot of shame in my life. I, I felt shame for so many reasons. I, I feel like shame is also something that we inherit too. I feel like there's a lot of like ancestral shame that we can we can we can take on and it's passed down for from um, our ancestors, from our parents and family. So I walked into life with that. And also I think I grew up with a level of shame about many different things, feeling like I wasn't smart enough, um, that people were smarter than I was in school and I was struggling and I didn't know why I was struggling. Uh, I felt shame because my family didn't have much money. And I had a lot of friends who, who come from families who had money and who had a certain different level of comfort. And I felt different and shame about that. And then also, I knew at a, from a very young age that I was gay, that something was different about me. So I walked around with a lot of that. And 
when you're carrying all of that with no means to really understand it, with no language around it, uh, and no way to really uh, healthily express it, I think it just sits within a person, sat within me, and just festered, festered and festered, and was looking for, and I, it led me on a path of trying to find ways to alleviate that shame, to feel better. So by the time I had my first drink at the age of 15, which eventually led to my first drunk, um, I was ready. I was so desperate for some sort of relief, some way of um, to check out and not feel what I was feeling. Um, and so that drink gave me everything that I needed that I did felt like I didn't have. And honestly, for the next 20 some odd years, I chased that same feeling over and over and over and over again. And when you do that, you, when you, when you give up such tender parts of yourself to this thing outside of yourself, um, this substance of this behavior, um, it just leads you into feeling more and more shame. Um, drinking alcoholism, or now they term it as uh, refer to it as substance uh, substance use disorder. Um, just having that as a part of your experience creates even more to be shameful about. And the things that you say and do as a result of your um, lack of presence in your life uh, creates more to be ashamed sh of. And so I feel as though addiction and shame really go hand in hand. And it's been my experience that in order to achieve any level of recovery and healing, you have to deal with the shame. And many of us don't have what we need in order to do that. And so it's so helpful. And my friend Keith, who I spoke to uh, as a part of the book, talks about how he wasn't able to really get sober until he worked on shame with a therapist. And that's also been part of my experience as well. And a big part of healing from shame is just having an awareness of when you're feeling shame. Like, and when you're feeling shame, how does it, how does it feel in your body? Like somatically, what happens to you when you are, when you're feeling overwhelmed by shame? Um, I know for me, oftentimes I feel things in my gut or I feel things in my heart. Um, so just being sensitive to that. And then also, being able to call it what it is, not running from this emotion. We can't change something that we want to acknowledge is even there. So being able to do that is really powerful. And then being able to share that with someone who has earned the right to hear your shame. Because you can't just share the things that you're shameful of or the shame that you're feeling inside with just anyone, because not everyone uh, it can hold that. And one of the things that I have found through my recovery, I think not only in therapy, but also just in working with sponsors and sponsees is that we, we hold space for one another and we're able to share those things that we've been um, keeping a secret 
because that's the thing. We're only as sick as our secrets. Um, secrets uh, fester and create more for us to feel shame about. But when we can share that with someone and have that person reflect back to you what you shared and oftentimes say, I, I understand or I hear you and respond to you with a, a level of kindness and grace and, um, and love, that's incredibly powerful and healing. And I know for me, it's always given me what I've needed to give myself that as well. Mm. So yeah, shame. Ooh, we can talk about shame all day. <laughs> I actually want to, I want to pull out a thread that you mentioned. And mm -hmm. if you, if you can maybe expound a little bit more, you mentioned sharing it with someone who's, and I don't want, I'm going to make sure I got your wording right. Who's essentially maybe earned the right to hear. Is that what you said? Earn the right to hear your shame. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more about that. Like what, what does that, if we crack that open a little bit more, what does that mean? Well, I think that we can all look at our lives and we can all look at our relationships that we have with people. And not every person is able to to really uh, handle us showing up as our full selves. Sometimes there are people in our lives who really, really uh, appreciate us because we are the ones who always make them feel better. You know, we're the ones who always make them feel good about themselves, or we're the one who always makes them laugh, makes them elevate their spirit. Um, but they're not always there for us to come to when we feel our most broken. Uh, not everybody can do that. Not everybody is meant to do that. And that's okay. I don't necessarily expect every single friend that I have to be able to hold space for me in that exact same way. But it's important that for me that I have just a handful of people, you know, maybe two or three people in my life who I could bring those broken parts of myself to and they will embrace me either physically or energetically. Um, that's what I mean by the people who, who have earned the right to hear my shame. Um, and it's important to just practice discernment about that. And it takes, sometimes it takes trial and error. I think a lot of us, so speaking for myself, I should say, um, especially when you come from traumatic backgrounds, um, dysfunctional families, you, you get a lot of mixed signals and you don't always trust your instincts and your intuition about what you're feeling and who to let into your life and let them be close and who to have a little bit more space between you and them. So it just takes time to develop that skill and to um, really fine tune your, your picker, <laughs> um, your selector of, of good people and good energy, good um, supportive healing energy to be around to help, um, help you navigate those very tricky and also human emotions like shame. Thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. It's 
and I say this, my listeners are like, stop saying this. You say it every interview, but it's the case. Keep saying it. There's always something that resonates that sort of hits, hits a nerve in a good way when I'm conversing with folks. And that was the, I think that was the, the thread I needed to, to, to hear a little bit more. So thank you. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, what I want to do, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of movement, right? And you've mentioned that like movement has been a really Im impactful um, component of your life from, you know, your career as a dancer to sort of where you are now with incorporating Qigong and other movement practices. You know, how does movement sort of connect to our healing process? Because, you know, and I, I think I think about like social media and what it shows us and we see like opposite ends of the spectrum or we see like very uh, different ways in which people approach their practices. And even for me, I know stillness is sort of my thing, right? Like I, I stillness is sort of the thing that I lean into, but I think more and more I'm realizing that I need to balance that more intentionally with movement, right? That like I got the, what used to be difficult for me was the stillness. And now that that's something that I've sort of incorporated in a lot of different ways, it's now leaning into how do I now balance that out with movement more intentionally? So can you talk a little bit more about um, how move, how we can approach movement in a much more mindful or healing way? Well, I'll go back to something that Joseph Pilates, who is the, the creator of the Pilates uh, movement modality, he always said movement heals. And that when we move our bodies and we're designed to move our bodies, our bodies are meant to move our muscles, our joints, our tendons, everything is meant to move. And even when we're still, there's still movement happening within the body with the breath and, and the organs and everything. So uh, movement is a part of us. And from a Chinese medicine standpoint, energy, and we're all, everything is energy. Our bodies are energy. The air that we breathe is energy. Everything that we can see and touch and feel is energy. It's all designed to move freely. And when it doesn't move freely, there's stagnation, there's disease. And one of the things that actual physical movement of the body does, it helps us to circulate energy, move energy through the body so that we can, um, minimize stagnation we can minimize disease and having a movement practice a physical movement practice that's done with awareness i think there's a lot of things that we can do to move our bodies and exercise and and they all have their benefits and they all have their merits and i think there's a use for for each and every one of them but mindful movement which is what i teach through the practices of pilates and qigong uh, are different because we're paying attention to the body as we move it. Mm. And we're paying attention to the breath as we move our bodies. And we're also paying attention to how we're feeling, even emotionally and what we're thinking mentally, all of that contributing to each and every one of us as whole beings, right? And so the thing is what I always come back to when it comes to this idea of the importance of moving the body is that movement is already happening. Movement is within our nature. It's just a matter of tapping into it. And for some people, the most that they will ever do for themselves is walking and walking is a beautiful way, a beautiful practice to do, um, the way to move mindfully. 
when you talk about what you see on social media that you see the everything is out there it just runs the gamut you have people doing crazy extreme exercise and that's not that's not even my wheelhouse and i consider myself to be pretty fit and pretty athletic but you just have to find what's what's right for you what's what's going to help you along your self-care journey and um and i think movement is just a way for us to really tend to all the different parts of us i think a lot of practices in self-care focus on how we're feeling emotionally how we're think what we're thinking about but it's important to be able to integrate it all into the body and not um, disconnect from it and as i said earlier too when i mentioned trauma trauma is something that that disconnects us from our physical body and it's important to just have practices that again helps us to integrate the body the mind and the spirit with that being said can you talk a little bit about qigong as a practice for those folks that might be listening that aren't super hip to it as a practice and a movement modality can you talk a little bit about what it is yeah. what the practice is sort of yeah give us a, a little you know overview uh, absolutely so qigong is an ancient chinese healthcare system that combines flowing movement, standing postures, deep breathing, and focused intention to activate, cultivate, and circulate life force energy. And life force energy is the energy that animates every aspect of us, you know, whether it's a heartbeat or or the the, the movement of our muscles, um, as well as our emotions and our thoughts and our consciousness. And when you take the word qigong, you break it down in half. Qi means energy and breath and gong means work or skill. And what we do when we practice qigong is we, we become more skillful at managing our own energy, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Nice, nice. And uh, you know, you your book is like my favorite kind of book because I always mm -hmm. like books that have like something at the end of the chapter to like tie it together right like it's not just hypothetical or like theoretical but it's like cool I talked about all this but here's like an actual practice or something for you to take with you you know at the end why was it important to sort of combine or maybe bring short qigong practices um, as a part of the maybe takeaways from each chapter well the chapters all focus on specific topics and what we're talking about is some heavy stuff some of it and, and it can bring up a lot as we explore um, how we feel about fear, how we feel about shame, what our experiences have been. And also I share a lot of tools and, 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 and tips for ways to, to, to work with those uh, heavy emotions. And what I wanted to do at the end of the chapter is provide a movement practice, a simple movement practice that each and every one of people engaging with the book can do to help integrate the teachings. Because there's something that happens when we slow down enough uh, and move the body and pay attention to the body as we move in and connect to the breath. Um, a lot of things are able to move, but also we're able to process things in a very different way. I get, I get some of my best uh, inspirations and insights while I'm moving my body. I also get them while I'm in stillness too, but I think of the movement as a, as a moving meditation. Mm. And, and I think it's a great way to, uh, to really 
find and drop into that meditative state, even as you move your body. And for many people, even doing some of these movement practices before they sit for meditation is really useful and beneficial. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Something I've actually been doing a lot more with my meditation practices is like definitely incorporating some sort of movement to help my body settle in way more intentionally. And it's, it's, you can definitely feel the difference in your practice and how you are able to sort of connect with yourself. So your point, like we, there's so much of a focus on like the breath and the mind. It's like, no, actually, how do we complete that as the body? So where do we make a, a focal point that we're in movement ahead of time does help out a lot with that. You know, I want to ask you, you know, I was, as I got a chance to check out the book, you know, chapter three dumped out at me as well. This I discussing the idea of like, how do we move beyond fear? Um, and I guess the question I want to ask you around that is how can we approach fear maybe more skillfully? Well, I think we can't affect change on anything in life, including our emotions, if we don't acknowledge that we're feeling them, right? And I think that there's this, this just really comes to mind in, in a really clear way that there's this thing culturally about uh, bravery, bravery, and that we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, go about living life without fear. Um, and the thing is, fear is a is an emotion that we all feel, and and it serves a very good purpose. It helps to keep us safe. So. Um, when we think about fear, it's important to remember those things. And it's not something that we uh, need to feel like we, we shouldn't feel it at all because it's a natural part of being. But it's just a matter of how do we process it? How do we move through it? How do we not just live in fear? How do we, how do we take the fear that we are feeling and transmute it into something else after we've really gone through the journey with it? Because something happens when we feel fearful, it sends our central nervous system into overdrive, right? Into into that ignites that sympathetic nervous system, that fight, flight, freeze, and which is great if we're being chased down by a, a tiger <laughs> or something like that, or we're in true danger. But oftentimes, we can have that um, response because our nervous systems are already hyper aroused. And so we can just jump to fear quite quickly. So I think it's important to just have practices that help us to self-regulate and to bring us more into that state of being where the parasympathetic nervous system can, can turn on because that's where the healing, actually the actual healing powers within body are able to turn on and, and um, proliferate. But this idea of fear and how to navigate it is a really good conversation because one of the things that I learned when I first started recovery was that so many of the fears that we have are fears that are never realized, right? Um, there's so many things that we are fearful of because of um, it reminds us of something from the past, or it's just this thing that we're afraid that will happen in the future, um, but it's not really based on what's happening right now in the moment. So I think it's really useful to acknowledge our fears, um, 
even write them down, some of the things that you're afraid of. And when you think about the things that you're afraid of, can you, can you play the tape through all the way to a worst case scenario if this fear, if this thing that I'm afraid of happening happens, what then? Um, and that was always, and it has always been a really useful tool for me because at the base of, of that fear, there is a thought or belief that if this thing happens that I'm so afraid of, I won't be okay, that I won't be able to survive it, that I won't have the wherewithal to navigate it. And when you look at your life, when I look at my life, um, leading up to now, I'm 51 years old. I've been through a lot of things. I've walked through a lot of fear and I've always had what I needed in order to get through it. So in the book, I really wanted to offer people tools to, to help them move beyond fear. And those are some of the things that I think about and use to help me navigate that very tricky emotion. Thank you uh, for sharing. Yeah, that's, ooh, yeah. Yeah, fear. <laughs> can you relate? Yeah, I can relate. Fear is a biggie. Fear is a biggie. But I like that idea of like, actually slow down and follow that through, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes it's like, well, well, what would come of this? Like, we just sort of get caught up in the fact that it's something scary, something fearful, but we actually don't follow it all the way through to be like, well, actually, and I think there's power in that sort of dispelling that energy around that, right? And so, yeah, yeah I appreciate you sharing. I'm actually like sitting here like, Huh. I got some journaling to do after this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What I want to do, um, you know, as we think about your book, um, what are, you know, what do you hope your readers take away the most from, from their experience with the book? Well, I hope that people walk away from reading the book and understanding that they're not alone. In the book, I share my experience, strength, and hope. And I, and I also have people, friends that I have had conversations with throughout the book, their stories are woven through. So I really wanted to create a, a, a community and a container for the reader. So they feel um, seen, they feel um, loved, they feel connected to. Um, I would love for everyone to have a deep sense that they are worthy of change, transformation, recovery, healing. And then I also would love for people to look at every tool that's in the book as a tool that they can use to help them live a more conscious and joyous life, that everything that's there is given to them for them to use to help themselves. Listen, uh, Stephen, this has been uh, <laughs> a very uh, fulfilling conversation. I want to say thank you for taking the time out to, to chat. Um, yeah, this has just been great. I'm just sitting like literally I've been sitting here digesting everything that you've been sharing. Um, I definitely got to journal a little bit after this, but I want to say thank you so much for uh, pouring so much into this conversation, pouring so much into your book and um, just being that voice that needs to be heard in this space. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Of course. Uh, what I always like to do is create some space for my guests to share how my listeners can get in contact with you. And if there's anything, of course, the book. Um, and for those that are listening, I'll drop a link to the book in the show notes. So whether you're listening on a podcast or YouTube, click in the show notes, you'll see a link to, to the book. But what else do you have going on that folks can connect to? 
Yeah, everyone, just go to my website, stephenwashingtonexperience.com, and you can find all of my offerings there. The central offering that I have is my SWE studio. It's on-demand wellness content that I've created. I have a library of over 300 plus videos um, focusing on Pilates and Qigong and how I fuse them together in my classes. But I also offer meditations, laughter medicine, um, and other healing practices to help you all live more conscious, joyous, healthier lives. It's affordable, it's accessible, so please check it out. And then you can also find um, all the other offerings that I have, online courses, and also links to all of my social media platforms. I'm on all of them, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, you name it, I'm there. <laughs> and um, I look forward to engaging with each and every one of you in some way, shape, or form. Awesome. Y'all click in the show notes, the links, they'll all be there. Do yourself a favor, go check it out. Um, that being said, Stephen, thank you. Thank you again. Um, it's a it's a pleasure to be in conversation. Um, definitely hope to keep the lines of communication open. And um, yeah, it's just been a pleasure to to chat with you today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much. Great to meet you. Great meeting you too. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mindful Rebel Podcast. Take a moment to go down into the show notes and follow my guests on all their platforms or check out their website because I know you enjoy the nuggets of wisdom they shared with you in this episode. While you're in the show notes, take a moment and go to my website. That's seanjmore.com to stay up to date on any upcoming offerings I have to share. And then also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to catch the next episode of the podcast. Thank you so much. And until next time, move into the rest of your day with a greater sense of peace, clarity, and freedom. <laughs>